and Tools is brought to you by EXO AutoWorks. EXO AutoWorks is Colorado Springs' home of the $30 synthetic blend oil change. Call now, 719-375-3232, or visit exoautoworks.com to make your appointment. Enharmonic Studios. Enharmonic Studios is a hybrid digital analog facility designed to be quality and affordable to anyone who wants to make history. Call today, 719-963-2020, or go to facebook.com slash enharmonicstudios. Madrid Maintenance. Madrid Maintenance offers excellent handyman services in the Colorado Springs area, starting at just $35 an hour. You can reach them by phone at 719-634-2020 or online at facebook.com slash Maintenance. Trevor's Beard is brought to you by The Beard Struggle. The Beard Struggle is my go-to for beard hygiene and styling products. So you should click the link below and use the code T-L-A-N-E-1-5, that's T-Lane-1-5, for 15% off Auto Works. Streaming all over the world. It's your weekly dose of toxic masculinity. With Eric Madrid. And Trevor Lane. Smash, What's up, buddy? Hey. I hit all the red lights. Sounds like it. All of them. <laughs> did you know Colorado Springs now is now an hour away from Colorado Springs? <laughs> yes, I did. I was aware of that. <laughs> it is. It's, it's definitely an hour away. <laughs> Just on its own. So what's up, buddy? How's your week? Not bad. How about you? Not bad. I went to your house. Yes. And uh, we found a, a a leak. Okay. In your house. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your windows. I thought you were talking about the sprinklers. I'm like, we haven't no. put water in that no, no, system no, no, yet. No, 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 so. That's going to be the <laughs> most fun part, I think, is tearing out walls in your basement or ceilings. All right. That's going to be a lot of fun. And by fun, I mean... Not fun? Not fun. <laughs> not fun at all. We'll get it figured out. Anyway, no, you had a, a deluge of rain. Yes. And your window installers decided to cover up the weep holes. They did. If those windows even had weep holes, I really couldn't tell. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, fun probably fact. installed upside down. Could be. I don't know. <laughs> They're all the fun, top. Fun fact. Uh, you can drill those out yourself. Yep. <laughs> and how and did I, you put it? I did. Oh, it looked like, it looked like <laughs> when I drilled them um, and the water came loose, it looked like, you know when you have a real nasty zit? And you, and you pop it, and then it just like oozes blood like down your cheek. That's what it was. It was like that. It was just just blip 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 blip. <laughs> we get graphic here on Man Tools. Yep. Go graphic. Well, anyway, we got a hell of a show for everybody tonight. We do. We have a guest. We have a guest. Uh, we have some cool news footage. We do. We got some crazy cool stuff. And then uh, after the free show, we've got uh, an extended Patreon thing with our guest. So right. And then, yeah, it's going to be a good day. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Let's hit it. 
Well, uh, speaking of our guest, I'm going to bring her in now. She is going to be audio only, but uh, that's okay. We're going to get uh, copyright dinged pretty quick for that. Hello, Hello. there she is. Ladies and gentlemen, Hannah Wallen from Honey Badger Radio joining Man Tools. Uh, we we spoke to Brian, it was a couple months ago now, wasn't it? I was going to say recently, but I guess it hasn't been recently. <laughs> these, these all run together. You're my only friend, so you're the only face I see outside of work. But we're uh, we're big fans of Honey Badger Radio and um, the, uh, the various um, podcasts that you guys produce. Um, oh, I'm yeah. glad to hear that. Thanks very much. Yeah, we're sorry you're on this show. Your listenership's yeah. going to decline <laughs> rapidly. I, well, I felt bad because you tweeted that you're not doing your live stream because you're hanging out with us. So we really appreciate that. Well, I'm I'm doing it tomorrow, so um, I can be flexible. Well, that helps. But uh, but I'm glad to be here. So uh, well, tell uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what you and the Honey Badgers do. Um, we're sort of a conglomeration of, uh, artists and writers and, um, busybodies and political commentators and, and all of that. So we, we do, uh, quite a number of different things, but mostly what I do in conjunction with the group is, um, commentary. Uh, and I've, I've done some writing and, uh, and we've, we've organized the uh, 2019 International Men's Issues Convention, uh, but uh, mostly uh, what the group does is, is we examine and report on and uh, raise awareness of men's issues. Uh, we also do donate to some different groups. We've donated to CAFE. We've helped some other um, individuals, and we've helped some other groups. Uh, we've worked... Uh, I would say in sort of loose conjunction with a lot of the other men's issues groups in terms of um, getting the issues out there and uh, producing content, um, contacting legislators, uh, you know, promoting change and reform in law and policy, and in particular um, – Related to due process law, related to fathers' rights, uh, related to issues faced by boys in education, and uh, so it's it's we're part of the the greater men's issues discussion, uh, and then we also have a very large Discord community. Um, it didn't used to be, you know, when we first started, it was actually just a kind of a tight knit little group, and it's gotten to the point now where. Um, we have several different chats in the Discord, and you know some of them are just for news discussion and research and information gathering and things like that. And then some of them are more um, for a uh, therapeutic reason. There, there's uh, quite a bit of uh, discussion take that takes place that uh, doesn't necessarily directly involve me, but we have people involved with the group that are actually in the field. Uh, in the field of therapy and uh, and work with people within the group and everything so there's there's quite a bit um, but uh, like my like my personal thing is I've always been in the journalistic end of things so that's what I do the most 
Sorry, we're getting a uh, all, all of, thunderstorm warning all, on our phones. All every of us, phone just every <laughs> phone and computer is a Mac in the studio, so Started they all went off. Out. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the uh, the honey badger curse. I brought the technical difficulties. Oh no, we have we, enough. We have our own. We, uh, we've probably just infected here. you with them because this place. <laughs> this is the this is the best place we've ever um, been set up to host. Yeah, but it's our stupid fingers hit the wrong buttons. I think is what happens all the time. <laughs> oh, I do that too. Or uh, I fail to unmute when I need to unmute. I have I have a long-standing feud with the <laughs> button. So. I just tell Trevor buttons aren't toys. Every five minutes. Yep. <laughs> there we go. But but toys have buttons, so you know there there could be some I confusion got buttons there. Buttons on, on knobs, and knobs on switches. <laughs> this is what it is. Yeah, uh, it is what it is. I, I failed to to mention in the midst of all that I have um I have been to court with falsely accused men as well more in a one as a, a witness and one as a journalist and and a couple just as moral support and uh, you know just sort of shared with several falsely accused men information that I've gleaned from other falsely accused men's experiences in their cases and everything so there is also that. Um, that sounds, uh, pretty interesting. Is there, uh, I mean, we've, we have touched a number of times on the like civil side of it. Um, I co-parent with someone, (laughs) so I have experience there, but, um, is the, is the bias just as bad and, and extreme, uh, when it comes to the criminal court systems? Yeah, um, it actually it's it's bad everywhere, and it depends on sort of the the type of crime uh, that's been alleged. But when it comes to intimate partner and sexual violence, there's an extreme bias, and it's written into the laws in the United States. You know, a lot of people don't realize this, but before before the Violence Against Women Act of of 1994, there was a federal law that did everything that we were told we needed from the Violence Against Women Act. The uh, Family Violence Prevention and Services Act of 1984 is the federal law that established that the federal government says it's it's not any different legally when someone commits an assault inside the home versus outside the home. And uh, it's the law that established a 24-hour hotline. It's the law that established funding for shelters um, what violence against the Violence Against Women Act did was gender everything, um, establish training for court personnel, for uh, the prosecutor, for the police, everybody involved that follows the Duluth model of handling domestic violence, handling what feminists would refer to as gender violence because they want to make it a male behavior that only affects or mostly affects women. Um, and because of that, it it led to this system-wide gendering of the response. So if there's a conflict in the home and it leads to violence, when the police show up, they're trained to view the man as a primary aggressor regardless, and they're trained to view the woman as a primary victim regardless. But uh, research actually shows that two-thirds of one-way domestic violence is female-perpetrated. And approximately two-thirds of 
uh, two-way domestic violence, which is more than half of, of domestic violence, is female-initiated. So a lot of male domestic violence is actually defensive. But feminists will tell you that it's women who are defending themselves. And they've even invented a term to try to portray women as defending themselves when they hit first. They call it preemptive self-defense. Wait. It's a minority <laughs> report all over again. Yeah. So it's it's essentially it's it's incredibly biased in that area. And then you know, sexual violence law, that sort of stemmed out of society's protective attitude toward female reproduction. And a lot of that goes back to you know, it used to be that that uh, all of a woman's life, at least one man was responsible for her, whether it was her father or her husband, unless she chose to go out on her own. Like that was that was something that you know, women didn't have to be responsible for themselves. But then if she gets pregnant, um, then the man who is responsible is also responsible for her child. So, of course, men are going to be very protective to make sure that other men aren't shirking their responsibility right you know this this woman is pregnant now it's now it's on you 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 uh did this so there you go you know dad doesn't want to support her anymore marry her and and that's basically sort of how that kind of um control social control evolved that's one of the reasons why men were not given the same benefit of of recognition recognition of any bodily autonomy with respect to their their sexual activity um in fact they're responsible for their own and the woman's and as uh, as sexual violence law evolved it entirely focused on just protecting uh female bodily autonomy and female bodily integrity until kind of the latter part of the the 20th century there's laws that will protect children and uh if you work really hard at it, you know you can actually hold a woman accountable who imposed herself on, on, on against a man's will. But until actually this century, the federal government didn't really even recognize men as victims, and uh, so they didn't really count them. So we have all these statistics that are based on ignoring that this happens to both sexes and that both sexes engage in it. And, uh, and and that both sexes can have serious boundary issues if they, as they're growing up, uh, if they're victimized, if they're subject to a, a violent environment, if, you know, any of the things that can go wrong that can wreck your development of an understanding of other people's or your own boundaries, like that, that can lead to you becoming a sexually violent person in adulthood. And our laws have always been incredibly biased against male victims of, of sexual violence, or incredibly biased and incredibly um, unfair to men who are accused. And what that's facilitated then at the other end is you have um, laws that infringe on men's due process rights that our society has accepted uh, because they are for the protection of women against intimate partner and sexual violence. And uh, like rape shield laws are an example of that. Uh, a lot of that leads to um, basically exculpatory or potentially exculpatory evidence being excluded in cases that uh, involve an allegation of sexual violence. And then later on, a lot of men end up – you find out that they've served time or faced penalties um, that maybe even if they didn't go to jail that uh, were completely – 
unfair because they didn't do the crime. And if you look at the Innocent Par uh, Innocence Project's website, the majority of their cases are, are wrongfully convicted uh, men and women, but mostly men, who have uh, faced sexual violence charges of one type or another. Yeah, is it... Um... <clears throat> I'm not sure if this changed, but I know a number of years ago there were still states where uh, rape was only defined under the law as a man forcing himself on a woman. Uh, yep. Um, carnal knowledge uh, of a woman by a man against the victim's will is, if I remember right, the yeah, wording. Yeah. Um, now, a lot of states have moved away from that definition, but um, do you know if there are still states that define rape in that way where it can only that only a man can be the perpetrator? On a state-by-state -state basis, I don't really know the individual laws all that well, um, but I do know that it's it's definitely harder to uh, to convict a woman, even when the law right. is fair, um, because she can come back and accuse the guy. No, he was he was raping me. I wasn't raping him. I didn't know that happened, or I didn't want for that to happen, and uh, so he's not just fighting. To, to prove that he didn't consent or that he refused and his refusal was ignored, he's also fighting to, to prove that he didn't do anything right. wrong. Um, so, yeah, it, in terms where the law has changed, the next step also needs to be that social attitudes need to change and the guidance needs to change. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's I think that's a an even bigger part. Like, um, I forget who we were talking to. Or maybe I was on a podcast by myself talking to somebody about the uh, the tender years doctrine, which uh, for those that don't know, in domestic cases um, uh, around the issue of um, uh, par parental rights, um, <clears throat> it used to be written into law in most jurisdictions. Uh, the attitude basically was that during a child's kind of... Um, they're as they called it tender years uh they needed the mother more than the father as far as um being in their custody they needed the father's financial support right because and and there is some validity to this back then women got married off so that they didn't have to work so once they had kids and a husband if that went south um it's not like you know they had spent time continually in the workforce and could just jump back in there. Um, but that got taken to an extreme, especially after kind of the, the feminist movement in the sixties and seventies, where now there were women that were working and you had a situation where, uh, there really is no reason to, you know, put the man over a barrel as far as financial assistance. Um, when someone's capable of working, you know what I mean? But I mean, that paradigm shift is still happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's still going on. Um, but the problem is even though the, the legal code has abandoned that tender years doctrine, a lot of judges still rule with mm -hmm. it in mind. Um, and then they're still, they're still uh, acting on a bias. Yeah. yeah. That that's going to take a very long time. It's like we, we've come so far just, in my in in my short lifetime here, you go pushing half century. In our shift from being, you know, men go to work, that whole thing, you know, men are men and boys are you know boys are boys, and you do this and you do that, and 
women do this and women do that. And it's shifted so quickly that the powers that be or still that, that romantic notion of, you know, the fifties home life, uh, men go to work, women stay home, bake the cakes and do the washing and dish. There's still some of that just sitting around in the court systems in, in that, in that sort of, uh, how do I put this? Like the, uh, the big interlinked mental view of, of, society and how it still works yeah and and um and i've seen this firsthand with my own experience um it's a lot easier for a female to pull on some heartstrings than it is for a male uh when it is when you're standing in front of a judge and start going woe is me the social norm and attitude right. is if you're a male well you just need to man up and yeah. pay what you got to pay if you're a female it's oh he hurt you. I'm sorry. You know. <laughs> oh yeah. There's there's that, and then there is also um, both both left and right kind of have their differing gynocentric attitudes. The the left sort of automatically sees women as victims, and the right sort of automatically sees women as angels. And men get the short end of both of that uh, because there are there are women who are not angels. Uh, my the the first. Uh, falsely accused man that I went to court with, his ex-wife uh, sold drugs, um, put the child in harm's way with a, a guy who actually was abusive, uh, and uh, filed multiple false allegations. She took him through a roller coaster ride that went from uh, as as dramatic as a false rape allegation to as bizarre as a literal false allegation of a drive-by greeting in violation of uh, a, a restraining order, a false restraining order, frivolously obtained um, at that point on the basis of her fear because she had accused him a bunch of times. And uh, all of her accusations had fallen through, but they still gave her the emergency restraining order for, for 30 days pending a hearing. And uh, this was, you know... It's it's easy to get a judge to accept, I'm the victim, I'm the victim. If you are female, you are uh, doe-eyed, you stand mm -hmm. there and cry, you have an advocate with you that tells you this is the patriarchy attacking all women. This man is the patriarchy, and this is all women in your courtroom, and if you rule against this woman, you're a misogynist. And, and that's basically what happens in these cases. So the judge has guidance that is – also that that statement of well domestic violence is the patriarchy attacking all women it's not just the man and the woman in your courtroom and and then he's hearing it from these advocates he's hearing it from the attorneys and he's hearing it from the accusers and it, it becomes very hard for him to or her occasionally there's female judges that that fall for this stuff too um women don't even always see through other women's crap like we can uh but but some don't and some don't want to, uh, but uh, in any case, yeah, that's that's um, that's pretty common in, in these cases. And then the other thing is, uh, they're willing to ignore the value of a father in the child's life. There's all kinds of research that uh, explains how important it is to have both parents involved in the child's upbringing. That kids with involved fathers. Uh, have have better outcomes from the time they're infants 
and and they're developing their sense of security in the world and their their ability to deal with other people uh, right on up through after they graduate from high school, go into college. They have better outcomes in college. They have better outcomes in their career. Uh, they have better outcomes throughout their school years, throughout their social life. They have better outcomes in their marriage. Um, and I'm sure if research were done on the very small portion of children who are isolated from their mothers, you would see similar differences between children who don't have involved mothers and children who do have involved mothers. You can't just cut one parent out of the child's life and expect no effect. But uh, the National Organization for Women has spent like the last 50 years, Generation X's entire lifetime basically, um, fighting against paternal custody. And the whole time their argument has been essentially to label fathers deadbeats and abusers in the courtroom as, as their means of, of opposing uh, uh, equally shared parenting rights, starting with opposing joint custody and then going on to oppose um, shared parenting arrangements. And, and now that equally shared parenting is becoming the norm, they're panicking over that as well. So this has been a long time um, anti-male feminist campaign against dads. Well, yeah, it, to the to the point where um, it's not directly the custody issue, but I was reading, I forget what celebrity it is. It's not Johnny Depp or anyone that big. In fact, the reason that this happened is it's an actor who's kind of, his career is in a slump. <clears throat> his ex-wife agreed with him that because he's not making the money that he used to, that his child support should be reduced. And a judge said, tough, you still have to pay it. Even though his ex signed an agreement saying, yeah, this is fine. I get that he doesn't make as much money as he did back in the 90s when he was hot shit or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and the judge was like, yeah. no. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is not uncommon. It doesn't just happen to people who have lots of money at one point. Um, there's, there's men who are made homeless you know, by their divorces and thrown in jail because they cannot uh, pay their, their child support obligations. Judges will do things like imputing income. I don't think you're making as much money as, as you could make. So I'm going to base your child support on a full-time job uh, at the rate that you should be making based on your credentials, even though the factory or the, the business that you were working at went out of business and you're working at a gas right. station now. I don't care. You know, you have to earn that money again. And this happens regardless of whether they're in an, an environment where maybe there's another company that would pay them that much or they're in an environment where there is no other such company. They could be out in the boonies and that could be the only company in that whole area. You know, judges have told men to move to find a better job, even if it's going to take them away from their children. And rather than, uh, you know, stay close to the child and, and lower their, their child support obligation. And the excuse given, you know, it's, it's, it's for the children, right? It's for the children. But, you know, when the mother is on welfare and the state orders the father to pay child support because the mother is on welfare, the state pays the mother the welfare and keeps the child support. Right. So if it's for the child, why does the state keep it? <laughs> yeah. I think we just found the uh, the reason why you still have to pay. Hey, well, <laughs> there it is. Yeah. And the history behind this goes back to England's poor laws. I mean, they tried that. Everything that the United States has done in regard to welfare reform 
started with Elizabethan poor laws. Um, and it was it, it's just one of those things that you have two sides arguing about this. You have the I want to use everybody else's money for charity side that says, oh, we have to support all these poor people and we can't question you know, how they ended up in poverty or uh, suggest ways to get them out of poverty. We just have to support them. And then the other side says, no, we want them all to work. And at the extreme ends, you have then the people who want a, you know, a complete collectivist state and the people who think that everybody that is poor is poor because of their right. own faults. And therefore, you know, that that should just lead to people being cut off or being forced to work or things like that. And there's there's some in between there. There are some people who end up in bad situations because they've made bad judgments and they need help getting out of it. Um, but you know, the Elizabethan poor laws started out with if your your family member is in a workhouse, your cousin, for instance, falls on hard times, ends up in a workhouse, and they find out, hey, he's got this relative. Guess who's going to put the bill for his stay in the workhouse? And uh, and they went after the putative fathers of uh, the children of unwed mothers, and you know and everything. It's all of that that that's in welfare reform today, and it sort of it stems back to the um, the state uh, breaking up a lot of the church's properties and the church's power uh, during King Henry VIII's reign. And uh, so then the state took responsibility for a lot of what the church was doing and its charitable help for the poor. And uh, and that's sort of – that was where the problem started. When you have private organizations, which obviously back then the, the church was kind of part of the state, uh, and that was sort of a war between two parts of the state. But when you have charitable organizations that aren't necessarily the crown or the state or you know whatever – but that don't rely on taxpayer dollars. They rely on donations and uh, people working with other people. You get a more a workable result where if somebody just needs a leg up so they can help themselves on their way, that's what they get. And if somebody is permanently disabled and they need permanent assistance, that's what they get. And, and you get less um, dependence on that system. But when the state starts taking it over and applying cookie cutter solutions, then you you end up with a burgeoning welfare state and these these fake solutions like welfare reform that go after dads but don't factor in that the mom might be the one that broke up the marriage and she might be willingly not working and she might be willingly keeping the child away from the dad and so on. Yeah, yeah. I have firsthand experience with that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a dog in this fight. No. So. And you're you're probably lucky. No, um, really. <clears throat> in I just, fact, I I was saying the other day, my daughter's 13 now, and most dads, there and there is an element to this with me. It's tough to see her be that grown up, you know. Um, but. Then part of me in the back of my head goes, just five more years. <laughs> yeah. And then I never have to deal with her mother again, um, <laughs> which is kind of the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but um, and, and I don't have it as bad as a lot of cases that I've read about, um, you know, particularly stuff that we've talked about on this show. Like, like dude uh, from Japan. Yeah. Jesus. In, in fact, Murphy. I think um, I think he appeared on Honey Badger. Um 
we talked to a guy a while back who founded an organization called Find My Parent. For um, it's for parents that have been alienated, and then the kids to be able to find you know their parents when they're in a situation where um, either they've grown up, which is kind of sad if that you get to that point before you can even start looking. Um, but he, because of Japan's super misandrist, uh, well, and and the, the way he put it was kind of a lack of clear legislation saying this is how it has to work when a divorce happens. Um, his ex-wife just took their kid and, and disappeared. He has no idea where they are. Um, there is no legal recourse to try to find them. She has no obligation to keep in contact with them. Um, but a lot of that also is a cultural thing because he was also saying that uh, while they were married, um, it's customary for the wives to be in charge of all the money. So a lot of times when guys get divorced, they don't even know what they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and if he if he goes back over there, he will be arrested for yeah not because paying he, his child because he came support. back over here yeah. because they they ordered him to pay some outrageous amount that he simply can't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <clears throat> I see that also happens in Canada. There are there are men that have been ordered to pay outrageous sums of child support that have ended up in the United States. Um, shoot, I can't think of his name. He's one of the kids in the hall actors that, that he is in the United States for that very reason. And it's it's that same thing. His career, at, at the height of his career, he made a ton of money, and now he doesn't. Yeah, now he's doing and stand-up in clubs. So he has this, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, you know. So uh, now he has this, this outrageous child support debt, and you know if he doesn't if he goes back to Canada he'll be arrested and, and put wow. in jail and there's uh there's quite a bit of there's quite a bit of bias and it's, it's it's always just assumed that if a guy is in that situation it's willful and and it's treated as willful even when there is solid evidence that it's not right down to i've seen stories of disabled men who literally cannot do the job anymore that earned them the amount of money the original obligation was based on. And the child support is being taken from their disability, and because the state can't take the amount from their disability that they were taking out of the big paychecks, they're threatened with jail if they don't find a way to get more money. And of course, if they find a way to get more money for this child support, they lose their disability. Uh, and and they'll be made homeless and everything, but the state does not care. It's all about that collection. Now, the other thing that's happened with that in the United States, in particular, there is federal law. And this was this was from um, the 2000 welfare reform bill, uh, most recently, but it was done previously in the 80s as well. The federal government reimburses the states. For every dollar they spend in the effort at collecting child support, uh, when it came down the pike that that was going to happen, you know, when it was pretty obvious who was going to get voted into office and everything, and and that was uh, discussed publicly, we're going to do this, you know, Ohio mandated that all men pay child support through the state. All men who have to pay child support, all all absent parents, it all has to go through the state, or it doesn't count. You didn't pay your child support if you handed right. her a check, even if it said for child yeah. support. It doesn't matter. It's a gift. And so every dollar that the state spends uh, administrating that system 
now counts as a dollar spent collecting child support. <laughs> so Ohio has uh, a brilliant a pretty, racket. Pretty serious yeah. financial incentive there. I think Bugsy you know? Malone went to jail Sign, for 30 assign. years for doing some shit like that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, politicians get away with it all the time. Well, yeah, politicians, um, they're... <laughs> I, I, complete separate thing I was reading today, I guess uh, Nancy Pelosi's husband um, is cashing in some kind of big options with uh, Google's parent company. And uh, I guess it came... It's oh. coming on the heels of some kind of legislation. So it's like, how is nope. this not like no. insider trading? Yep. He knew this was coming. Yep. <clears throat> and Nancy Pelosi is one of the wealthiest people in Washington, too. There are people who are richer than her, but not a very large yeah. number. Yeah. And uh, and that is mostly um, that is mostly her husband's money. <sighs> well, <laughs> like she makes this big deal about. Um, Wanting to to drag back everybody's tax refunds from from the Trump era, but uh, and she she acts like people don't have a use for two thousand dollars because two thousand dollars is pocket change. <laughs> it's because she doesn't understand sums of money that are that moderate. She so it doesn't occur to her that that's you know that could actually in some areas be four months of rent yeah, for somebody. To, to her, it's like walking down the road and dropping a twenty. You know, you're a little upset, but <laughs> you're, you're probably going to live, yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I would think. Uh, but yeah, for her, uh, she she probably doesn't see it as a conflict because it's her. This is a problem in Washington, too. Uh, and, and in particular, um, it's a problem with incumbents that have been there for a yeah. long time. They see themselves as being completely separate from the rest of the country, and you can see it in everything yeah. they say. So they don't think of themselves as American citizens working in service to other American citizens in the government. They are the, the elite. They look down on you. They're your bosses, and uh, you should do what they say, and don't complain about anything they do because they're oh, entitled yeah. to it because they're, they're And in with the her in particular, you could see it with that salon debacle from – whenever that was a few months ago, a year ago, mm -hmm. um, where mm -hmm. not only did she, um, have this salon open up w during a time when ca salons in California were locked down due to COVID. Um, so she went in got her hair done and then it, the video came out and she, she had the nerve to say that the, uh, salon set her up. It was like, no, your office called us for an yeah. appointment. Yeah. <laughs> you set, if anyone so set anything up, <laughs> you did because your office called and You're, said the speaker of the house would like a, uh, needs a haircut, a haircut today <laughs> and she's better than the rest of you turds. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of, one of the commenters pointed out the Canadian comedian was Dave Foley, um, by the way, but, uh, and I, like, I just couldn't think of his mm. name, but yeah, P Pelosi, Having an ex having that as her excuse was just sad. Um, what what would have happened if they had said no? If she called them up and said, "I want an appointment," and they said, "Oh, you know, the rules say we can't do that. We're not going to do that." You tell Nancy Pelosi no, she's going to come after you. She doesn't like having people bulk, yeah. you know, at at what she's asked them to do. And so that that was uh, 
that was not something that the um the owners necessarily had a choice over and the other thing is it wasn't if i understand correctly it wasn't the owner of the uh, building and the actual whole salon that that she made the appointment with it was was one of the hairdressers and the hairdresser let her come in but it was the owner who had the cameras so you're talking two separate people there and it was the owner that was outraged that this happened and uh I don't know that necessarily Pelosi asked the owner's permission. Um, you just make your appointment with the hairdresser, and then the hairdresser right. comes in and, and does that all that stuff. This is something I haven't done in a long time. You can kind of tell, <laughs> but like I think I haven't been in a hair salon since the '80s. So I'm allergic to everything in there. So that'll that'll <laughs> except do the it. people. <laughs> Yeah, we walk in the door and like, okay, guys, call nine one one. I've been in here for five minutes, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, she uh, she acted like she was the victim when in reality she's the elitist that you know intimidated somebody into doing something for her, and then when people found out about it, um, she threw them under the bus. Yeah, and and. <clears throat> I think that's, you know, obviously that's a more entrenched issue than we could get into uh, and certainly solve on this uh, short podcast. But um, there, there, <clears throat> there's definitely a, uh, a ruling elite class, and I think it's because there aren't term limits. And I don't even know if term limits would really solve it. Um, while they're there, they make connections and then get hired as lobbyists or something like that and still are in that crowd, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it's definitely, they do not view themselves as the public servants that they're supposed to be. They look at themselves as having, no. I don't know, divine providence or something. I don't like understand. I don't understand when in the last few years, why politicians have become the new rock stars. It's like you're, yeah, it's been kind of a, it's been a, Weird Isn't it? See. It's like they're the new rock stars. Like you, you. I don't want to say date myself, but it used to be like you know the lead singer of this band, and you'd be like, "Yeah, that guy's awesome. I want to, you know." Where did that start? Clinton, probably. Maybe like that was. I mean, like he the was kind of the wedge. He was, you know, the big talk was about how charismatic and stuff. It mm-hmm. wasn't so much about policies. Whenever he would be on TV, um, I don't remember. Yeah, he made it into the anime. Certainly, certainly not Reagan, or you know anybody. Even even though Reagan even was like a huge you know movie star before that. <clears throat> yeah, he literally was a star first. Well, you also had <laughs> like before Ronald Reagan. I I would say um, Kennedy had that star yeah, status. Yeah, I thought about that. Yeah, but it wasn't yeah. like that was more. Reagan it was had... kind of the, with Kennedy was it was this this huge patriotic push like he was. Um, you know, he, mm-hmm. he, he mm-hmm. fought for the yeah. country and he he did he went overseas, he did this, you know, he did his time. But they Kennedy though, pro, I think you're probably right, because Kennedy was the advent of T V. In fact, mm-hmm. um if you read anything about the first debate between him and Nixon, it was the first televised presidential debate. And, and everybody that watched it on TV went, oh, Kennedy trounced him. The people yeah. that were still listening on radio were like, oh, Nixon handed him his ass. Right. Um, and it's because they couldn't see, you know, Kennedy really worked the TV. Yeah. And they didn't, you know, see the grumpy old fuck like, yeah. <laughs> arguing yeah. his point. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think television uh, kind of changed politics forever in that you, you can see your po- your politicians whether you attend one of their events or not and those that are actually able to play well to a television audience you know they do get that level of stardom um right there's always been a bit of i don't know you could say sort of a cult following type behavior with some politicians because they have said things that that really resonate with a large segment of the people and that'll that'll give them maybe not rock star status, but an extreme level of popularity for politicians. But when television came along, you know, then then you can be a politician and a television star. You can be exciting to people in a whole different way. And uh, I think the more charismatic someone is in in a visual sense, you know, and it, it, where they actually have stage presence and things like that, that does make them better able to. Uh, uh, develop that level of following and it comes in different ways I mean you you compare um, you know, Bill Clinton kind of had that with a certain set of people uh, he didn't he you know he was no Ronald Reagan he was no Kennedy but he still had a a bit of a cult following in and of his in his own right and and then you had a totally different way of developing a cult following with say Donald Trump um, as one type of outsider versus Ross Perot as another type of outsider, so you get this in it. Like, I don't, I don't know how many other people remember the short-lived Sesame Street character Ross Parrot, <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but I mean, he, he did, you know, that that ability to resonate with people and actually get people to remember you as a person and a character on television and and. Um, and develop a following in that manner. You know what? What? What's funny is, I can't really name a female politician that I could say that about. Even Hillary Clinton was more of a devil figure, a yeah. demon figure to people than any. Like she was kind of. Everybody loved to hate her more than everybody loved her. But I suppose if you go to you know outside of the United States, um, you can you could say that about Margaret Thatcher. Uh, you really can't say that about very many women in U.S. politics. None of them have – a lot of them have relied on vote for me because I'm a woman uh, and like me because I'm a woman and, uh, oh, you're criticizing me. You must be a misogynist and don't ask me hard questions because I'm a woman. You didn't ask me hard questions because I'm a woman. Why are we talking about my <laughs> hair bands? You know? and, and so they can't build that kind of – uh, rapport with the public and they can't build that kind of charismatic connection because they're busy talking about well, the, their gender. Yeah, the possible and I think it's always going to be men in that position until we the, get past the possible that. exception in recent memory I'd say was Tulsi Gabbard. Um yeah, yeah, but she definitely was was She an made the mistake of criticizing the Clintons. <laughs> and that was that was the end yeah. of her <laughs> campaign. Uh uh yeah. Although surprisingly, she's still alive. That's true. Yeah, I, I guess she didn't go far enough. Yeah, she didn't cost him <laughs> any money. Yeah, <clears throat> but you know, it, it's it's interesting to watch that with politicians, and um, I think I think that sort of tells you a little bit about um, what we are and aren't ready for in terms of politics, too. You look at feminists say we live under a patriarchy because there are not enough women in high-ranking political positions. But genuinely, are we ready for, say, a female president 
if women are still able to use you're a misogynist for criticizing me as a a get out of accountability free card. Yeah, that's a that's kind of the million dollar question there. Um, I don't know. Um, I forget who it was. A, a fictional character on television. Can't remember the show West Wing. Some shit like that, right? He's like he started cursing at her and yelling at her because she was his. You know, was another senator, and she got all huffy about. You know, you're you can't do that. I'm a woman. He's like, oh, you want to be. In this room, this is how it's going to be. Yeah. Because we're all grown up and we all need to fight this out. So I just treated you like any one of my other peers. And uh, it sort of set a weird tone. But in the end, it worked out great. Like the the female protagonist, like, you know, pulled her socks up and got to work and everybody was happy. But I don't see it all... I don't see at all real life imitating that art and that at all happening. Cause the minute I've ever, I've done it, raise my voice on a job site or something and the cleaning lady or the, whoever the, the carpentry gal starts crying. Cause I barked at everybody <laughs> on the job. I was like, Oh geez. Yeah, there's a there's a instinct that that we're at work there on at both ends too, right? Women women are more likely to be able to cry under those circumstances, and uh, you know we we have this sort of trigger like big scary man yelled cry, uh, you know, and and then men oh women's crying uh-huh. protect, and that's that sort of dynamic has been around forever, right? So it's very very hard to overcome. And what needs to happen with female politicians is they need to be able to, to – all right, so I've just had this instinctive response. Big scary, scary man yelled, I want to cry, and and now I'm going to stand here and suck it up and drive on. And that's a really hard thing to do for anybody, um, overcoming an instinct like that. But if women want to be able to be taken seriously and want to be able to achieve on the same level as men – we have to be able to do that because men do it, and that is part of why men are successful in, in all of those areas, whether it's business or politics or even just being part of a family. And uh, there was a time when women were more expected to do that than we are now. You could not have had pioneer women, uh, pioneer women um, living in an area where they didn't have even the uh, – you know, maybe not as advanced as today, more more rudimentary um, amenities of society. If they hadn't been able to suck it up and drive on when something terrified them or startled them or made them sad or you know anything like that, they should they they had to be able to. Um, all right, I'm dealing with this emotional experience, but this stuff has to get done. Right. And and that's basically the way they lived. And, you know, you have women today that if they were thrown into a situation like that, they would just die and the people around them would die. You know, there would be no there would be no pioneer, uh, you know, women. There would be no pioneer village. There would be dead pioneers They They wouldn't finish the jobs that they needed to finish. They wouldn't take care of the things that they needed to take care of. 
and people would die. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> this is something that I don't quite get with uh, with the modern feminist movement. Um, pushes for things like uh, this law that um, fairly recently uh, <clears throat> was passed in California where now um, on any um, – board of directors that has more than five people, if I'm not mistaken, half of them have to be women. Um, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to have that completely be based on merit and have women achieve instead of, um, you know, there's almost a stigma if you're in that boardroom of, well, she's only here because we had to meet the legal requirement. Yeah, because, of... oh, gee, thanks for my credibility in this job now, even though somebody who actually deserves to be there. But now there's a law saying, yeah. oh, well, we had to hire her on, so... Well, and it's even it's even worse if it is a female that is achieving like that. That's what I'm saying. And, now she's going to work twice made fucking it. hard. Yeah. Because, because the law says... The, the 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 room, the consensus is, oh, she's only here because we yeah. have to have her here. And now she's got to work twice as hard. That just screws people over. Whenever you put an arbitrary number to fill a quota, I don't care if it's on race, religion, sexual bias, whatever it is, you, the proverbial, you put an arbitrary number and force that into law, it makes whatever person is seconded to that law have just even a harder time. Every time. Yeah, they they get the label diversity hire, yeah. and then people just assume that that's the only reason that they're in the job. And you can quote your statistics. You can say, "Hey, look, these people mostly have the the credentials. They have the experience." But the question becomes, did they do the job it mm -hmm. takes to get in there? And be, that question exists because you know, they're a number. They're put in there as part of a percentage. And you go back to. Um, the uh, the Title IX uh, criteria. Title IX was originally it originally came about because um, before it was normal for women to want to have careers. Um, women would go to university and they'd get a law degree or they'd get a medical degree or they'd get a you know a bunch of languages under their belt and stuff as a feather in their cap and they wouldn't necessarily become doctors or lawyers to practice and. What that does for the college is, well, now they've they've spent all this effort on this individual, but this individual is not actually going out and contributing to the public view of the college's good name. Look, this great doctor, this great lawyer, this great translator went to this university. I want to go to that university too. And so they prioritized men in certain um, areas of study. Because men were going to go do those jobs, and your community needs men doing those jobs, or at least people doing those jobs, you know, men or women. Uh, and if if a lot of the people doing the the area of study aren't going to do those jobs, it's bad for the community and it's bad for the college. Well, then, in the 70s, you know, 1972, uh, Title IX passes uh, outlawing just those kinds of discriminatory policies and quotas, and by that time. It was pretty normal for women to, you know, you get a you get a certificate to do to to teach, or you get a a law degree or something like that. You go into practice, and within a very short time after Title IX passed, it was it was outdated, right? Um, but in terms of of quotas, it became it immediately got 
um, updated by the uh, the the bureaucrats that that were. It was their job to administrate it, right? Um, updated it with sports quotas, and what ended up happening instead of uh, more female athletes is they started shutting down programs. So in the 90s, they started shutting down men's Olympic wrestling and gymnastics programs and stuff like that because there weren't women that wanted to play tackle football. And you're not going to get a lot of women who want to play tackle football. It's just not something that like, women just don't get excited about jumping on each other and knocking each other down and all that's that goes against that everything i've ever really seen is. in porn i'm sorry you know? you're wrong you're absolutely wrong <laughs> well now if we're on a bed it's a totally right. different story but definitely not on we a need, football we need field. fluffy pillows lingerie that's right. it and teddy bears and stuff but no um women women are not the rough and tumble type you know like that that's just not us and, you know, of course, feminists don't acknowledge that. They will get very angry at me for saying that. They do frequently get very angry at me for they saying that. They get angry that. at me every week, I promise. <laughs> yeah. I look forward to your letters. It's biology. <laughs> it is biology, though. Um, it is a biological... Uh, it's just, a... It's a physiological and, and it's, fact. You don't have the bone structure. Right, and it, it's also... Uh, Psychological proclivity, I guess you'd you'd call it. The yeah. the women, by and large, are more interested in uh, uh, jobs and social interaction that involve people. Men right, right. more to the point and, of involving things. And when we compete, um, it's not so much if if we get into a physical competition, we don't compete over who can knock the other one down. We compete over who can dance right. better, you know, or or who can who's more bendy than the other girl, um, who has a prettier face, who has longer right. hair. And the um, women's competition know. has always been introverted. Men men's is, right. men's measurement of, of of has always been extroverted. It's just it's how we're hardwired. Right. I don't. So it didn't it didn't change the percentage of women involved in college sports by increasing the girls dramatically and it changed it by decreasing the guys and that happens a lot um, if you do that in a profession you're going to see uh, it become a detriment to men wanting to enter that profession not necessarily a boon to women wanting to enter because most of the time if women are really qualified for that profession and they're really doing what it takes to get involved they get in so it shoves women in who don't necessarily have the attitude or the aptitude, and it takes men out who do. <clears throat> and if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Hannah, you said you'd be cool hanging out with us on Patreon, right? Okay. Yes, definitely. Uh, I think we're going to slide over there and end our free portion. Um, but before we do that, I, of course, need to say how awesome EXO Auto Works is. And, of course, I don't have the ad copy. Pulled up. <laughs> uh, I want to say firsthand thanks, EXO, for uh, you know getting um, the work van in today and getting it all taken care of in lickety-split fashion. And, uh, yeah, and then making good suggestions on a couple of things that needed done. Awesome. 
Um, as always, Mantles is brought to you by our friends at EXO Auto Works. Uh, also happens to be the place that lets us broadcast. Um, <clears throat> they are, of course, Colorado Springs' home of the $30 synthetic blend oil change, and EXO knows that finding the problem is the first step to getting your car right, which is why EXO Auto Works provides diagnostics at no charge in most cases, and they also do fleet services, fluid services, repair services, and so much more. They work on all makes and models, including high-mileage cars, and they offer a 24,000-mile, two-year nationwide warranty. So call EXO at 719-375-3232 after we're gone, uh, or go online to exoautoworks.com to book your appointment right away. Thanks, EXO. Um, <clears throat> and with that, we are going to... Um, say thank all of you for watching and listening um as we said we're going to head over to uh patreon and locals uh that's our other subscriber service um the stream will be available on both of those and if you're not a member it only costs five bucks a month uh, you'll have time to sign up it'll take us a few minutes to transition um <clears throat> but those can be found at uh, either patreon.com slash mantoolsmedia or mantoolsminions.locals.com. Um, and before we leave, Hannah, what else? Uh, any parting words or anything else you want to plug? Um, I suppose just my uh, my switch over of the show tomorrow from today to tomorrow. So HBR talk that was going to be on tonight at 7:30 p.m. will be on tomorrow at 7:30 p.m. Eastern, and and uh, we'll be. We'll be touching the third rail. We're going to talk about the Cosby Ooh. case. Ooh. Yeah, we've discussed a little bit of that, but haven't gone into much detail. Now I want pudding pops. <laughs> <laughs> you read our description, Hannah. You chose to come on the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I'm always hungry. <laughs> uh, well, with that, we shall say good night and uh, thank you all again for hanging out with us and. Uh, if you are a Patreon or Locals member, we will see you in just a few minutes. Good night, everybody. That was your line. <laughs> I'm glad you know all these buttons. Why is it not finding this? Already, same same uh, Skype call. Oh, excellent. Okay. And I think I have everything. I always. 
Attention shoppers, we now have taste in the bread aisle. Dave's Killer Bread. That's right, an organic bread that's no longer a sedative for your taste buds. Dave's Killer Bread is on a mission to make the most of the loaf, to rid the world of GMOs, high fructose corn syrup, and artificial ingredients, and plant the seeds of good in all that they bake. Killer taste, killer texture, and always organic. Dave's Killer Bread. Bread amplified.